Good morning, everyone. As was mentioned, I'm Joni Holm. We're here with Prairie Doc Radio. We would love to entertain your questions if you'd like to call at 692-1430. We're going to start by talking about uh, the subject for the television show this Thursday night is the gastrointestinal system, the GI tract. And so we'll just start with that. But we'll, if you have a question on any GI problems, that's great. If not, go ahead and send those in anyway. So Rick, tell us, what is the GI tract? Okay. So the GI tract starts at the lips and it goes, it includes the teeth and the tongue, the swallowing mechanism, the whole thing that protects the lungs when you swallow, all of the esophagus, which is that transport system that brings it down to the stomach. It's the stomach which uh, introduces acid, grinds hard on the food that you eat. And uh, it is the small intestine um, that exits the stomach where it receives bile from the liver, which is breakdown product of the, the, the blood. And the bile emulsifies the fat. And then you get enzymes from the pancreas that dissolve hard uh, to, to, to eat gristle and also counters the acid that came from the stomach so that it's a neutral pH so it doesn't burn everything downstream. And then it's the small intestine where all of the work of absorbing the nutrients occurs. So it's been chewed up and beat to death and acided and, and alkalined and, and enzymed. And now it's going through the small intestine. If you look at the small intestine, it's all these little fingers of fimbria that are absorbing the nutrients protein, carbohydrate, fat, all that gets absorbed into the small intestine. And then that subsequently is dumped into the large intestine where the water is conserved. So it takes the water out of the food and the, and the juices and all of the things that were there and brings it into a, a system of withholding and saving water when needed. Uh, and, then, and, and then it uh, coming out the, the rectum. So it's from the lips to the rectum uh, and everywhere in between, including all those organs that make, uh, you know, the parotid gland that makes salivary juice. And it's the pancreas that makes the absorbing um, enzymes. But also the pancreas makes, does another job. It makes um, insulin. Insulin. So the GI tract obviously is very uh, large and very important to everybody's life. And probably all of us have had GI problems at one time or another, whether it's just a short-term virus or whether it's a more serious issue. Right, and so I'm, I'm going to invite the audience uh, to call in a question. Call in a question if there's any history of esophagus problems. When did it need to be watched? What can you do to protect it? There's some over-the-counter things, but there's some danger there. What about the stomach? What are the most dangerous things that can happen to the stomach? Well, there's over-the-counter drugs that can be the biggest danger there. What about the small intestine? Are there diseases of the small intestine, like Crohn's disease, things that need to be addressed? What about the large intestine and ulcerative colitis and colitis and infections and overgrowth infections and so on and so forth? Ask us a question. That's what I'm asking. It's time to call in a question. I would want, I want to, I was thinking about this last night before I went to bed and this morning when I woke up. And that is about the microbiome, which refers to the genetics. And we really understand better 
the genetics of all of the organisms that are hitchhiking uh, around with us. When we got into the genetics, we found, well, that's not human. That's, that's part of the bacteria that's living there. No, that's not human. That's a, that's a virus that's hitchhiking. Well, that's not human. That's a parasite that's living in and on and around and everything. Um, and as I was writing the essay for the show tomorrow night, um, I sent it to a scientist friend of mine, and he said, I think of the, 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 the places of the microbiome, the bacteria, the, the, bac uh, the, the um, viruses, the parasites, and all these things, um, as uh, the body is a, a big donut. Uh, and um, and the and that the microbiome live on the outside edge, the golden part, the crust of the donut. Uh, if you think about it, when we're in, in our mama's womb, uh, we're a ball, and then the ball involutes on each pole to a point where there is now a hole that goes through the ball, kind of a donut-shaped thing. And that hole that goes through the ball as we're being formed as uh, in, in utero. Uh, utero is the lips to the anus. And that the bacteria that live on us uh, live on our, in our eyes and in our hair and in our skin uh, and in our GI tract. So there are some medicines that can cause trouble with the GI tract. Why don't you touch on those? What can give your, your stomach and your esophagus problems that are common medications that people take? Right. The big, the big actors are the nonsteroidal anti-inflammatory drugs Such like as? aspirin, Advil, or ibuprofen, Aleve, or naproxen. And those can, can irritate the stomach terribly. And they're available over the counter, and people will have problems from that. Uh, the the there is the problem of of um, uh, thank you the uh, the the drugs that we use to counter the ibuprofen. The, that's the the uh, ranitidine, which is Zantac, or the Pepsid, which is famotidine, I think, um, or it can be. Uh, those are H2 blockers. Or you can do the proton pump inhibitors, which is omeprazole, or which is Prilosec, or um, those kinds of drugs. The problem with those medications is that if you don't have acid in your stomach, you're a normal person, and you're testing people, uh, first the normal people and then the people who have reflux and heartburn and acid, it helps the people with his reflux and, his and, and heartburn and acid. It doesn't change anything for the people who don't have any symptoms. But when you stop it, the people, uh, all groups, both groups, have re rebound hyperacidity. So you may never have had any acid problem until you were put on this experimental group as a control, and now you're stopping the drug and you have have suppressed acid and now it comes back with you at a vengeance and so the answer is if you're on it do you really need to be on it and the answer is you, we should all try to get off of them how fast do you how how quickly can you get off of them up to three months to taper off of them to get off of them 
Isn't that interesting? We have a question that has just come in on this subject, so let's go to that question. But, but I wanted to throw one more uh, drug, and that is the, the, the stimulant laxatives. So we'll get back to the stimulant laxatives in a minute. Now, what's the question? A 66-year-old man has been taking PPIs, which you just talked Proton about. pump inhibitors like omeprazole or Prilosec. For years and now has stage 3 kidney failure. Are the two related? Probably not. Now, uh, we know that uh, people who are on proton pump inhibitors like uh, Prilosec and uh, what's the purple pill that's now? Prevacid. Prevacid is another one. And there's Prilosec. The Prilosec and the... Nexium. Nexium, that's the other one. Okay. Um, that the acidity that you that is normally in the stomach that is neutralized by those drugs uh, sets people up for uh, overgrowth infections. And so uh, Clostridium difficile or C. diff overgrowth infections in the colon uh, seem to occur uh, in that group. Can that, you know, inadvertently cause kidney failure? Probably not. Is omeprazole or <coughs> Nexium or Prilosec or any of, uh, you know, Prevacid, are they uh, causative of, of kidney disease? I have not seen it. I have been around for a long time. It, you know, it may be on the list, uh, but I do not not sense. a common occurrence anyway. It is not a common occurrence. There are drugs, there are problems related to the C. diff overgrowth, but right. not kidney failure that I know of. We need to go to our first break, but we'll be back and we will take more questions at 692-1430. Until then, welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. I had to think about the title there. Uh, say, uh, I have to say, nice job on those commercials. Yeah. And so... Hats off to you on that. Thank you for that. We got, we got. So you're not only the host today; you're the promoter person. Well, and we thank the Avera Medical Clinic for sponsoring us. Um, you wanted to mention uh, that the kidney failure is on the list. Well, I looked it up in Hippocrates, damage. which is a, a credible uh, source, and they said that there are history of renal impairment on the list. Uh, but I've never with people seen it. taking proton pump inhibitors. It very likely could be more coincidental, but it is something that this person would want to talk to their primary care provider about. Right. Would I would I have you stop them? I would say to anybody who's on long term use of those medications, you might be on them because you know you've tried to stop them in the past. You dropped them and you had severe acidity, and you went, okay, I need this pill because it's preventing acid reflux that I would normally have if I weren't on them? And the answer is you don't know that unless you try that taper over a three-month period of so time. So it's a very, very slow taper. So uh, let's say you're on 40 milligrams of uh, Prilosec or Omeprazole. I would go to 40, 20, 40, 20 for a couple of weeks. I'd go 20 for a couple of weeks. Then I'd go 20 every other day for a couple uh, weeks and then or every drop of every third one for a while drop every other one for a while and then just use it as needed uh, the difference between uh, as long as we're talking about uh, these drugs if you do omeprazole uh, those kind of medications it's a long-term treatment if you're looking for as needed hyperacidity 
Um, I like to recommend uh, ranitidine, which is uh, generic Zantec, and it's over-the-counter. And right now, while I'm getting radiation and having a period, periodically having these kind of, well, I drink too much coffee probably. I get a little acidity. I'll take occasional uh, ranitidine. And uh, it's over-the-counter. It's cheap. And there you have it. We just had a question come in, and, and it basically touches on the same thing. And we've we've answered, um, if you're on longer than three months, can you still get off? So yes, if yes, as long you as can. you do a taper. But you need a taper slowly. And you know, a lot of people get started on these things. Um, uh, a lot of people get started on these uh, drugs uh, just because they're sick in the hospital and, and they just want to protect them, and then they never get them off. And I think it's a big mistake. As surgeons will stop them, start them uh, commonly when they've done any gut surgery of any kind. And so, so it goes back to the old adage that the least medicine is the best medicine. Right. Although what I don't like people tolerating hyperacidity. I mean, if they have a heartburn, off they finally get off the drug and they're still having heartburn, they use uh, uh, ranitidine or Zantac uh, as needed. Uh, and they are not using ibuprofen, which can get you trouble, and they're not drinking two pots of coffee like I usually do, and uh, that uh, that could get you out of trouble. They're still having problems. You worry, particularly if you're forty or older male, but both uh, women and men, uh, if there if there's cancer happening in the esophagus. So somewhere along the line, you, you should may maybe get a scope if it's a persistent recurring problem. So the second half of this question has a medication that I'm not familiar with. Panaprozole. Okay, and what is that? That's like a, a meprazole. Okay, and so the question is, can they Protonics get... Protonics is the brand name for it. Can they get off of that after a year? So same answer, yes. yes. It's so like the others, do it slowly. Let me let me just give, it, give you again the protocol. So it's a three-month taper. So if you figure out how long it takes to get, how you would taper it, but I would go dropping every third one for maybe three weeks. I would drop every other one for three weeks. I'd go, uh, uh, and and then I would go one every third day for three weeks. And then and while, while we're at it, if you're having rebound periodically, then use a little bit of that ranitidine Zantac uh, over-the-counter as needed. The, the other thing to, to remember is that Zantac is a lot faster acting. The, the ranitidine. Uh, by the way, I get the generic. The generic uh, ranitidine, the generic Zantec, is is a lot faster acting than the omeprazole, the panaprozole, the um, the the prevacid, whatever that is, fomitidine. I can't remember exactly what it is. But uh, so use the H2 blockers when you need as needed uh, help. Uh, what about the old medications like Maalox or Tums? Do they have any value? Well, <coughs> Mylanta. Yeah, yeah. I I have prescribed more Mylanta too than than Carter has little liver pills. I mean, I just early on in my career, there are a lot of people who suffer from heartburn and reflux and hyperacidity, uh, uh, some of which was really due to the the ibuprofen and the aspirin and the uh, uh, leave uh, naproxen that people were taking. But anyway. Um, do those medicines help? Yeah. And the answer is uh, uh, they do. Uh, but uh, now what was the original question? Mylanta. Yeah. They do those? help. 
and uh, my my thought is that uh, using that as needed is a basically reasonably good thing to do. The problem with Tums and Rolaids is that they stimulate the uh, body to to make acid. So you almost make as much acid as you counteract. And so people say don't use them as a as a mainstay. Plus, I think uh, both of them are based on calcium uh, carbonate, and calcium can be dangerous to people with atherosclerosis. Uh, the other thing to say, so Mylana 2 is, or, a li, or a tablet form of Mylana 2 or one of those is a reasonable option. Uh, some people also use sodium bicarb. Uh, that's probably not a bad option either. It really does settle the esophagus. People will tell you it really does settle the esophagus. But I thought it raised your sodium potentially. Yeah, it's, it's salt. So I w- that S- could be a... So, so that is the downside. I mean, I, I, I have a friend who said, I don't care what you tell me, Rick. Bicarb makes it work. And I, I said, no, no, you don't want to use bicarb because it's so heavy in salt. Uh, and it'll raise your blood pressure and cause you trouble. Well, his blood pressure was okay, and he used it on occasion, and it worked. And subsequently, you know, like maybe five years ago, I read an article in a, in a journal of the American Medical Association that explained why it worked and, and you know, why we were always against it. <clears throat> but it's not a bad option. Mm. It isn't that bad of a deal. Okay. So uh, we always make our, we, you know, you put your, you make your bed and you lay in it for a while and then you realize that there's another bed over here that works just as well. Okay, well, I think we should take another break, and then we do have another question. And if you have more questions about the GI tract or anything else, call us at 692-1430. Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joni Holm filling in for Joan Hogan. We're talking about the GI system, and there has been another question that's come in. Uh, I don't have any age or too many details, but the caller talks about her husband choking when he's swallowing. So, you know, it, what comes to my mind is a, it, it's a variety of issues could be problematic. But what's your just, what, so? So well, what are the I variety? worry about the swallowing issues. You know, are they having trouble with Parkinson's? Are they? Do they have some? You know, a systemic problem? problem? Have is they it had a little stroke? stroke? Yeah. Like and um, what's the person's blood pressure? Go, you know, doing right. So you worry about all those things. Well, and then you there's more get those to think about. Those are, that's really good. What about the idea of of uh, of uh, sleep apnea? Uh, a lot of people who have reflux when they lay down at night also have sleep apnea. There are people who have a chronic cough, and part of the problem is that when they lay down at night. The acid rolls up in there, and then it rolls into the lungs, and then they have irritation uh, of the of the esophagus. And, uh, I mean, of the lung, you know, and the vocal cords. Uh, some people who present with a scratchy voice, and their voice is changing, you give them omeprazole or Prilosec, and their get their their reflux gets better, and they don't have they, it, it it what it does is they still reflux the stomach acid or the stomach contents. But it isn't hyperacidic. Um, but is this person possibly choking because yeah, of the acid? Yeah. Well, and what it's doing is it's messing up your normal epiglottis that flops down and protects your airway when you're swallowing. See, we've got this big, odd-shaped, kind of a um, tongue-like shaped 
thing. And when you swallow, the epiglottis flops down over the airway. You know, it's top. It uh, protects right, the airway. And it protects the airway, yeah, and the vocal cords are right below it. So it stops it, and the food rolls further back in your throat and goes down the esophagus. Well, when you get old, and when you get older, that mechanism doesn't work quite as well. Your neck gets thicker. The nighttime, uh, you're heavier, and the night, your acid rolls up in there, and it rolls into the lung airway, and it messes that whole mechanism. There's inflammation, and it doesn't work as well. But this person needs to be checked. We don't want to just have that choking uh, potential going on. You well, could have aspiration pneumonia. You could have other problems. So, Right. Esophageal, esophageal cancer is the thing that always sticks in my craw. Uh, you know, people who have esophagitis irritation uh, can sometimes, well, well, when you have a lot of acid reflux, the acid is is destroying the lining of the the esophagus making it uh, irritable and sets you up for a cancer change. I had a dear friend who who had uh, heartburn and reflux and he wouldn't come to see me. I mean, I was not his doctor. I was just a friend. And I pushed him to, you know, you needed to have that. You could try these pills. I prescribed him omeprazole periodically and ranitidine periodically, you know, but he, you know, and then of course, I don't see him for six months and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's eating Rolaids and Tums. By, he's buying them by, you know, down at, at, uh, at Sam's Club. Sam's Club, you know, these big, huge bottles of them and just swallowing and swallowing and swallowing. Well, what do you think happened? He died of esophageal cancer. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we sat on it. Who did? He did. Uh, am I responsible? I should have pushed him to get that esophage- uh, uh, sco- esophageal scope. Um, was he going to, I mean, had I suggested it before I had? Well, I mean, who's responsible? Well, just want to make sure that we're, t- you know, we're not too stuck on the reflux, but choking could be a variety of things, and this person should check into why right. they're, they're having choking. I, I will give you one more, the most common cause of choking, and that is called presbyesophagus. It has nothing to do with the church, which is a block uh, south of the Methodist church in town. I mean, it has to do with old esophagus. And when the esophagus gets old, it loses function. And uh, it does, it, it goes chaotic. Instead of having this nice squeeze a toothpaste tube from the bottom to the Rhythmic. top, it is all over the place. And this... Uh, corkscrew esophagus or presbyesophagus as they say uh, uh, doesn't work so well and then food gets stuck and then you have choking Um, the other thing is you can have these uh, little out pouches of the esophagus these um, uh, uh, diverticulum zinker's diverticulum as they call it uh, can give choking food will get stuck in this little pouch and then it'll pop out, and you'll have an old chunk of food that pops out into your back of your throat, you know, periodically. There's a lot of things that can happen, but the big bad bugaboo is cancer. And you shouldn't sit with a non-functioning esophagus for very long before you go to a guy. We can, come, we can do an esophageal scope here in the Brookings uh, community. You know, we have uh, doctors who do that scope here. Uh, and or they can send you to the GI guy uh, or gal who can do it. 
tomorrow night you'll meet two of those people who are who are experts in the field let's go to our last break and then we do have some more questions we thank you very much for calling in with those questions great question thank you Welcome back to Prairie Doc Radio. Thanks for calling in your questions. I want to move to um, a question from a 65-year-old female who complains of having a thick phlegm um, that's kind of rubbery in consistency, and it's every day and particularly after meals. How old? 65. And she wants to know where it is produced, the phlegm, and why. She's not on any medications. She says she eats clean, which I think is an interesting description, and uh, no sugar. So but why she is has she this having coughing, this, kind of this... Well, there's no no statement about cough, just phlegm in the back of her throat. Yeah. That, I, As I can imagine, um, thick and hard to move, almost feels yeah. like you can't breathe. Right. My guess would be that she does have some aspirations when she swallows. And my, my thought is I would, you know, make sure that you're not taking aspirin, Advil, Aleve, any of those kind of medicines that can make this worse. Uh, and I would, uh, you know, make sure that you don't have uh, reflux esophagitis uh, uh, problems that c- occur at night, like sleep apnea, with, uh, that go along with sleep apnea. My thinking is the, the mucus is made in the upper airway because it is irritated because when you lay down at night, you get some acid reflux. Um, and that and that and so I think it's important that you would talk to your doctor about the possibility that when you eat, something is happening where the food is not always getting right into the esophagus. Because that some of it might be slipping into the uh, the airway, causing inflammation and giving you this mucus production that pops up when you eat. And I would say uh, a lot more. Um common things is just make sure you're well hydrated make sure you've got plenty of humidity in your house so that it's not just dry air that's causing or you know worsening this um and keep think about those simple things as well right i guess i wanted we had another caller who asked about who was the name of that guy who was shot in this gut and there was a fistula and they studied the stomach uh, and it was like in the 18 1700s and the answer is the patient was called Alexis St. Martin, uh, and he was a Canadian voyeur who was known in those digestive experiments, uh, and they were conducted by an American Army physician, Will- William Beaumont, in the 1820s to the 1830s. And, and that data is in the medical text, it's in the high school health classes, uh, and that was one of those very important things. Where Some we of learned the early studies on what causes the issues. Yeah, and where, what what's happening in the stomach? Do you remember that, Bob? I do. He would have the guy swallow a piece of string with a sponge tied on it, and then he'd soak up some of the acid, or he'd have him eat different foods. The reason that the experiment ended was the guy that was shot got tired of it and left, so (laughs) he didn't want to be a guinea pig anymore. voyeurs, you know. Uh, The program is going to be tomorrow night. Tomorrow night, uh, we're going to have Christina Hill Jensen, who is a gastroenterologist at the Avera Clinic, and Tim Ridgway who is a gastroenterologist, primarily working at uh, the Sanford USD School of Medicine uh, and is an administrator and a teacher. Christina uh, is a Brookings person, so those of you from Brookings in this area, you might have known her growing up, so please t- tune in to yes, watch her. Yes, the Hills are her, her doting parents, and uh, Christina Hill Jensen was my student back in a thousand years ago when she was in 
college and no in med college and and med school. Uh, med school. So she did research on our hospice. So tomorrow night, gastroenterology. Ask anything, and we'll Seven bring those. Seven o'clock public TV. And we'll bring those those questions with us as well tomorrow night. Thank you all for calling in. And stay healthy out there.